I'm now joined by Garrett Robertson, Taylor Travis. They are producers at KZME Radio in College Station and two guys who have had me on a radio show that they hosted. And I think that just in some capacity, they both cover Texas A&M sports and they're just uh, cool guys. Uh, what's up, fellas? Not I would much, say man. we thanks for having us. Yeah, I would say we very loosely cover Texas A&M athletics. Well, what I I will say of this podcast, it took a a decently unprofessional turn this week when uh, I had to just have one of my best friends on to who's a Vanderbilt fan to talk about Vanderbilt because Wait, th- there's Vanderbilt fans. <laughs> that was kind of part of it. <laughs> is that their media coverage is so small that right. the only decent reporter that they have works for the Tennessean. And if you've watched it all, my coverage uh, of Tennessee, I have a long-standing battle with the Tennessean newspaper. They do not is like there, me. Is there like a bridge between you guys, of, uh, or is it completely burned? I, oh, I it's one, uh, 100% burned. Uh, scorched. Yes, scorched okay. earth. It really, I went in on them really, really hard, Mer- just merciless, okay. and continuously, like a series of like five or six different columns. They got shared like thousands of times over and i'm pretty sure one of their columnists like quit partially because of me and like the, hara- the harassment that i caused him um so yeah that's pretty funny yeah it was like a big weird deal that i never really thought that i'd be doing because i kind of liked the tennessee and before all of that happened and now are yeah no but Texas A&M, we're not here to talk about my spat with the Tennessee and Texas A&M. Uh, this is a little awkward with two guys. I'll try to moderate as best as I can. I did this with the guys at Mississippi State, too. So I'll say uh, just 1,000-foot view. What's the season looking like for Texas A&M? We'll just start with uh, Garrett. Um, I would say that from far away looking in, uh, Texas A&M, a lot of teams have, like, what-ifs. Uh, I think Texas A&M has the biggest what-ifs, the most important what-ifs, and maybe the most what-ifs. Um, from what if Trevor Knight can be the Trevor Knight who beat Alabama to what if Noel Mazzoni um, can figure out how to fix, how to use an offensive line that has one returning starter, and what if Speedy Noel can actually harness all his potential what if John Chavis in his second year can make it a top 20 defense? What if Kevin Sumlin can not get fired? I, it's just it's just so many what-ifs, and it's, it's going to be a crazy ride of a season. Um, and as a fan, it's going to stress me out. But as somebody who is embedded into this uh, media market, it's going to be um, a lot of fun to see where it takes us. And, yeah, I mean uh, – yeah. The last three or four years, I guess since joining the SEC, there's been a lot of excitement in the fan base. Almost like a, I mean, just a lot of anticipation. And this year, I'm not really feeling that as much. And I think a lot of that's because of the uh, disappointment the last couple of seasons have turned out to be. Um, both seasons, the team starts out red hot, then they fizzle out the end. So I don't know if that has something to do with maybe the lack of excitement, or maybe it's the quarterbacks have transferred, Kyler Murray, Kyle Allen. Maybe it's just the question marks. Maybe it's a lot of pessimism. Maybe people don't believe in Trevor Knight as much as they have Kyle Allen, Johnny Manziel, whoever in the past. But I'm not really sure what it is that causes the lack of excitement this year. But I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. 
uh, Trevor Knight, I think he can be good enough. I'm not going to say he's going to be great, but I think he'll be slightly above average, which I think was what the offense needs. They have weapons all over the place on offense. Ricky Seals-Jones, I think, is going to take a huge step forward this year. Speeding Oils, finally get his head on straight. On defense, there's a ton of reason to be optimistic. Uh, the secondary was one of the best secondaries in the nation quietly last year. The front seven, outside of linebacker play, was great. Uh, linebacker's going to be a question mark, as always, fraying them. So, I mean, I see a lot of pessimistic attitudes come out of the a fan base this year, and I really don't know why. I, mean, I see a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Yeah, you're really taking the, the more Homer road there, I guess the the sunshine-pumping view. That's okay. I get it. But in the last couple of years, it has been Kevin Sumlin has made some questionable decisions. Well, really, I don't know. I don't know if it really has been him. The The inner workings of all of that has been a little shady, perhaps. What do you guys think is going on? Do you think it's going to be fixed this year? Is the quarterback problem, you know, they they brought, uh, what's his face, the guy who's going to be the starter, um, two Knight? media days. Trevor and I, I couldn't think. I was thinking Baker Mayfield, <laughs> and I was like, that's not the guy. Um, he was, uh, but he was at media days. They seemed to believe in him. What, what do you think caused all of the quarterback attrition and all the strife the last couple of years? Will it be fixed? You know, this is uh, something that has really been swirling around Aggie Land for, I guess, since Kyler Murray really committed. Taylor, I, I guess I'd have to say, uh, the what happened really? I think, and this isn't. I don't know this for sure. I'm not like leaking high quality information now, but I just think. Uh, Kyler Murray was promised something um, by Kevin Sumlin, and then everybody just kind of realized that Kyle Allen probably gave the team the best chance to win. Um, and Kyler Murray's father, Kevin Murray, kind of got into the mix and wanted his son to play, and it was just bad blood between Kyle Allen, Kyler Murray, Jake Spavadol, and Kevin Sumlin. And it just it was just a relationship and everybody knows this. You bring in two quarterbacks who are highly touted, they're going to battle it out, and they're never going to think that whichever one's uh, the backup is in the right spot. But moving away from that, I think Trevor Knight, it's different this year because Trevor Knight is the clear-cut starter, and no one's going to really uh, challenge him for that. Jake Kubinak, uh transfer from Berlin. Um, I mean, he's not like a bad quarterback or anything, but he is a backup quarterback. He's not going to – He's not. it's not going to be week one. Trevor Knight's going to mess up against UCLA and it's going to be looking Trevor Knight's going to look over his shoulder and be like I got to make sure Jake doesn't take my spot or something so I think that's really going to contribute to a more consistent and um, smoother uh, offensive play this season you know one thing I've always heard about Kyler Murray I can't say if this is true or not but one thing I've heard from some people is that he never really wanted to be here he was a highly ranked baseball prospect apparently he was always a baseball guy growing up and his father, Kevin Murray, played football at A&M, kind of pressured him to commit to A&M and play football. So he just kind of did what his father did, which I think a lot of us can kind of relate to. The last thing you want to do is let down your dad. So he committed to A&M, he enrolled, and I think the expectations were that he was going to start right away. I'm not sure whether or not he was promised that, but that's kind of what the rumor is. And when he stepped on campus and found out he's going to be the backup, he didn't like that very much, neither did his dad. And it didn't take too long for Kyler Murray to decide, you know, A&M's not the place for me. 
I'm getting out of here. And it's safe to say that Kevin Sumlin completely mismanaged that entire quarterback situation. Absolutely. And Kyle Allen wasn't happy about it either. So he went out the door. Next thing you know, you have Connor McQueen as your only quarterback, and you're in the SEC. So, so that's kind of what happened there. It kind of sounds like your view is like Kevin Sumlin didn't do great, but it was really Kyler Murray who was just being a baby more. almost. Yeah. I, but I guess you had uh, the, the other quarterback leave too. But leading into – what is the feeling about Kevin Sumlin in Texas A&M? Because outside looking in, you have all the stuff that keeps happening. They had the the whatever perceived sexism in the presentation. Talk, yeah. I mean, can we can we just talk about? Gosh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna say some stuff that offends people. I'm certain with this, but the concept of doing clinics for to teach women football right off the top, like Tennessee doesn't do anything like that. God bless them. Because I hate that as a concept because right from the beginning, you're just like, women know nothing about football. There are some analysts, truly, who who are women and know way more about football than I will ever know. And it just seems so stupid to me. But your thoughts, we'll get there. (laughs) The thoughts on Kevin Sumlin around College Station right now, with that included, uh, how are people feeling about him? I think people are getting impatient. You know, they've seen what A&M can do on the football field. They saw what happened when Johnny Manziel was here. And let me just go ahead and say this. That win over Alabama in 2012, which leaves A&M fans thinking, hey, we can compete with Alabama. We can compete with the number one team in the nation. That wasn't Kevin Sumlin at all. That was Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel beat Alabama that day. It had nothing to do with Kevin Sumlin. Ever since Johnny left, A&M's been just a mediocre football team. So I think A&M fans are starting to realize that Kevin Sullivan might not be an SEC caliber head coach. He might be good for eight wins a year, maybe nine occasionally. But the talk around college station right now is it's nine wins, ten wins, or bust. I, I think right now, I'll let Garrett chime in here. My perception of the situation is that... You guys and Texas are thinking the same thing right now. You're thinking coach is going to suck it up this year and then going to hire Tom Herman. I think Texas A&M and Texas are both thinking that right now. And somebody is probably going to end up with Tom Herman next year. I don't know who it is, but Gary, you can weigh in here. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Tom Herman is on every single Aggie fan's radar. I mean, he only lives, what, 90 miles from College Station or something like that in Houston. Uh, but if I had to put money on it right now, gun to my head, if I, who Tom Herman would be coaching next year out of A&M and Texas, I'd, I think he'd pick Texas. Uh, and people aren't going to like me saying this, but A&M is still kind of little brother to Texas. Uh, if Texas wants Always something, if Texas wants something bad enough, they'll go get it. I mean, it's kind of like you're playing with a toy and uh, your brother comes in and is like, I want to play with that. And you say no. And then he just kicks you in the face and walks out of your room with it. It's, <laughs> there's nothing much you can do. They just have more money. They, I mean, can I, I, like li- I like living in College Station. Uh, I like all the people I met here, but Austin will always be better than College Station. Uh, it's just more uh, appealing to a lot of I, people. I, w- I will not disagree there. I've been to both towns 
multiple times, Austin is, for obvious reasons, because it's an actual right. city compared exactly. to Texas A&M, I would say he's like a college town. But Absolutely. Texas is just, they're, at this point, to me, they're kind of like, you know, in Back to the Future, when Marty goes into the future and he meets Biff again, and Biff's just like a loser, it's like... <laughs> Texas is like that. Like, they used to be this giant. They used to be in control. They were, like, the boss. And then they got old, and now they've just outstayed their welcome completely. And they're, like, they have all the money still. So maybe that analogy doesn't totally work with Biff. Whatever. (laughs) I tried. Uh, But you know what I mean. Like, they're, I think you're probably right, because they'll be able to throw way more money at Tom Herman. Then Texas A&M will go ahead. Bottom line, they're still the University of Texas. Yeah, and they always will be. They're they have McConaughey, man. A&M. Exactly. Yeah, they got Mahomes. <laughs> they got McConaughey. And you know I'm an A&M homer. You heard what I said when we first started this podcast, but it hurt me actually. I'm not dumb enough to sit here and say that A&M's going to dethrone University of Texas as the premier school in the state. But just as simple look, as that. Let can we look at it this way? I just want to pose this. This is coming right off the top of my head. If you're Tom Herman, let's say. UT kind of tanks, and let's say A&M kind of tanks, and they both fire their coach in full-on heated pursuit of Tom Herman, the goatee-wearing man. Um, If you're Tom Herman, wouldn't you want to go to UT and save, quote-unquote, save UT as a football program rather than, quote-unquote, save A&M as a football program? It all comes down to the conferences, though, and and I will say I think the Big 12 – is a skeleton at this point, and they're just kind of hanging on to inevitably being broken up and sucked up into the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, and but, so, but it's Texas. That's true. Yeah, it's a Big Twelve, but it's Texas Longhorn. I mean, just how much? You know, you used to be able to say that about Tennessee. Tennessee, every single year they're competing, they're in the national championship race and everything, and then you get Derek Dooley to come be coach, and it's you know, it, it, they don't even matter. Anymore. Well, who has more money, Texas or Tennessee? Even when Tennessee was at the high point of Tennessee. It's still, yeah, Texas will, I think, always have that edge. I don't totally understand it either. I don't, I, no one does. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no one understands it. Because, you, I mean, it's you just, know, like, their ticket sales can't be that, that great right now. Nobody wants to see that like, team play. It's just oh, kind of like the sky's yeah. always blue. And Texas will always be a premier college football team. It's, I don't understand it at all. But Well, just know that they, they annoy people outside of College Station just as much. Pr- probably not just as much as they annoy you guys. Because I know from having the ties that I do to Texas A&M, the, the pure, unadulterated hatred that Texas A&M has for <laughs> Texas. Oh, yeah. And it is... We it, might not play them anymore, and I hope eventually one day that rivalry comes back. But the words of our fight song, the words of our fight song will always be, you know, saw Barsky's horns off. And that says everything you say. Yeah, about <laughs> your your fight song literally has, and, and I I think maybe it's not every game. Don't they? It's something with like beat the hell out of Texas. That's like a, a oh yeah permanent catchphrase. Oh beat yeah, beat the hell out of whoever they're playing. Yeah. Oh wait, okay, so it changes to yeah. somebody else. But just know, Texas is such an annoyance. They're, I mean, like I said, they're like they used to be cool, and they still think they're really cool. And they try to like come around and be like, we're as good as the SEC. We have our own TV network, and we have all this money and whatever. And it's just like, shut up. Shut up. You haven't been relevant in like five years. 
Right. Nobody cares. Texas A&M beat Alabama. What, do you, what have you done for me lately? You got your ass kicked by Arkansas in a bowl game. Like, what? You got <laughs> you shut know? out by Iowa State. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's give, about as bad as it gets. Give me a, give me a break. That's bottom of the barrel type of stuff. Right <laughs> yeah. Iowa State, uh, yeah, it's terrible. But moving forward, looking at this schedule, an interesting game right off the top that I want to talk about. UCLA... I don't really know. They almost strike me as kind of the Texas A&M of the, the Pac-12 in a way, or Pac-10 or whatever it is now. Um, kind of, They could be good. You don't know really where they're at. How are, how are the Aggies feeling about this game? You know, UCLA lost a lot on their offensive line. They still have a young quarterback. Their offensive coordinator, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he came from USC, I believe. He's never really called plays. So, UCLA has a lot of question marks. That should be good, but so does A&M. So, I really have no idea what to expect this game. Here's what I expect. Um, I expect UCLA to throw the ball around a bunch, but I think A&M secondary will be surprisingly better than most teams and most people at this point in time think they'll be with Armani Watts, Donovan Wilson, Nick Harvey, Priest Willis, all those guys. Um so I think they'll be able to limit Josh Rosen and the receivers a little bit. But the biggest problem with A&M is just, besides a linebacker on defense, that is, that's just scares me at night, to be honest. Um, the offensive line, uh, teams could literally be, uh, just kill Trevor Knight. Like Trevor Knight might not even end the season as the starter because the offensive line is returning one player who actually played meaningful downs in Avery Genesee. If UCLA can just run through that hole and make Trevor Knight use his legs more and make more of like a savior type of deal out of him rather than just a drop back short to medium pass guy, it could be really ugly really quickly. Yeah, if I'm UCLA, really if I'm any opponent this year, I'm blitzing and I'm going to blitz all game Yep. because we've seen Trevor Knight crumble under pressure against TCU last year. Some other times in his career, Oklahoma, too. So, I mean, the <laughs> offensive line is so bad. Just blitz, get to the quarterback. Don't even give him a chance to make a play with his legs. I mean, if you're going to beat A&M this year, that's how you're going to do it. That really is huge. And I I don't think I'd really thought about that. I did a team preview of Texas. Actually, no, I didn't. I didn't do a team preview of Texas A&M. Somebody else did it for the site that I was working for. Um, so I actually haven't looked into that. That's interesting. I hadn't looked into the fact that there's only one returning starter. On that offensive line, that does not bode well. But that defensive line, I guess maybe I'm just thinking you have Miles Garrett. I mean, best yeah. uh, best defensive lineman in America, ostensibly. What? But you're speaking very, very poorly of the linebacker core. What is the the deal there? So what you got, and Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong. You have Richard Moore, um, who played a good chunk last season. He is. Um, not really the most talented linebacker uh, you could grab out of uh, the SEC. You have Otara Alaka, who was hurt the majority of the season. Alaka is uh, good, but he's just never healthy enough to play a whole season. That's the problem and, with Otara Alaka. I mean, those two guys, they're, they're really the guys you're going to be looking at the entire season to kind of make plays. And then a freshman out of Tennessee, you might know this guy uh, being where your roots are is Tyrell Dodson, uh, the true freshman. He will be looked at 
uh, as a guy to contribute, I think, very early on in the season. Oh, yeah. Um, and then a bunch of other guys are just kind of rotating in and out and see if it'll work out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sean Washington as well has had a lot of yeah, time. Sean, yeah. He's done well. But, I mean, the biggest problem with linebackers, I guess over the last two years, really, it's been injuries. They're just constantly have to rotate guys in and out because they're always getting hurt. They're made of glass. So I think if the linebackers can stay healthy, they'll be serviceable. But it's just, we don't know. We well, I don't, know, I don't know if serviceable at your linebacker core um, is good enough to win games in the SEC. I don't think serviceable cuts it, to be honest. Well, yeah. What is the strongest part of the team, offense or defense? Where Where is this team going to find strength? Because I would say, you know, looking, for example, looking at Tennessee, their offense is probably going to be pretty good, a three-headed monster in the backfield, but the defense, I think, is going to win Tennessee games this year. So where where is that competitive advantage for Texas A&M if there is one? Hmm. I'd say a defensive line. You have Miles Garrett, Deshaun, Deshaun Hall, who he can hold his own back there. He's very good. He kind of gets overshadowed by Miles Garrett in a way. Uh, Daylon Mack was a true freshman last year. He's a monster. He blew up plays all year, but he just wasn't in game shape last year. He couldn't be on the field more than two plays. He's lost weight, hasn't lost any strength. If anything, he's gotten stronger and faster. I think he's going to stay on the field. He's going to be a game changer. Um, you have guys like Quaylen Cunningham, who he's a defensive end, not starting, but he's going to be one of those guys who, if it wasn't for Miles Garrett, he'd be on the field all the time. So when he does come on the field, you're not really going to see a downgrade there because Quaylen Cunningham, he, Kingsley Kinkee, how do you say his name, Garrett? Kiki? King, Kingsley Kiki, yeah. And then also you have Zaykovic Henderson, uh, yeah. another defensive tackle. Uh, you could go either way here. You could say the defensive line is a and strong suit. Obviously with Miles Garrett, he's going to get a ton of attention. But like Taylor just said, all those guys are playmakers. Uh, and then obviously you have the wide receiver core and Christian Kirk, Ricky Seals-Jones, Josh Reynolds, uh, Speedy Knoll, all those other guys, Damian Ratley, Boyo, all these other dudes. But let me ask you this. I, I don't know how much wins both defensive line or wide receiver core are really worth all in all. I'd rather our strong suit be the D offensive line or the quarterback, obviously, or secondary. I'm, I just feel like yeah. A&M is really, really good at things that are not that – like I wouldn't say important because the defensive line and SEC is important, but – I'd much rather them be better at other position groups than wide receiver core and defensive line. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say the in the scheme that Texas A&M runs, I don't know what whatever uh, Noel Mazzone, Mazzoni or whoever it is, um, the scheme that he's going to run, but do those receivers even really get – the ball is it a run heavy offense is it pass heavy because it was right is it still going to be kind of the air raid offense yes, it, it'll be it'll be like an air raid it'll be a, actually it'll look a lot like jake spavadol's offense i think um but they will use the running back a lot more uh, they will use a tight end jake spavadol did not use a tight end um but it's, you're gonna see a lot more throws over the middle and a yeah. lot less sideline sideline and uh who is the running back? I don't even. It's not uh, Keith Ford. Keith Ford. He transferred from Oklahoma. Okay. Um, he was actually Oklahoma with Trevor Knight the year they beat Alabama. So 
which is a little funny. There, there you go. go. He'll um, start, and then James White. James White will be the backup. Um, and then Travion Williams, true freshman. Travion Williams will be the third. He's going to be kind of the uh, pass catcher out of the backfield. See, I, I get the feeling about this team you're going to have probably like a whole set of guys that pop up, kind of like Christian Kirk. They're really young, and you're like, oh, like there's your talent right there, and they're going to be good in the future. I just get the feeling about that team. Maybe it's just me trying to make you feel better about what seems like <laughs> not the best situation possible in terms of, I guess, the experience. But I think the talent is there. They, he's done – someone's done a decent job recruiting. Am I wrong? It seemed that way. It seems – although well, – See, the thing – my ahead. thing about Kevin Sullivan this whole time, he's a great recruiter. He's one of the best recruiters in the country, I think. He just can't yeah. develop the talent he gets on campus. Right. You see guys come on campus as five stars, and then you fast-forward their senior year – they're not much better than they were their freshman year. Yeah. Was Speedy Noel a five-star? Yes. Taylor? He was. Yeah, because okay, a yeah. player like that, he just kind of disappeared. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he just kind of dropped off. I don't know if he was in the Kevin Selman for all yeah. that, but he just couldn't really get his head on straight. Hey, um, and yeah, you can say that's mainly his fault, but at some point I feel like coaching staff has to step in earlier than um, what they did last year and just be like, hey, you are – you are so like just sit down and look at him in the eyes. And be like you are so talented. Like you are so incredibly talented. You could really contribute to this team, and you could really make a splash for yourself, and maybe go to the NFL. But you won't commit to the team. You only commit to yourself. It just the guys like that. Um, and I'm not saying he's recruiting like bad people or anything like that. It's just but like what Taylor said. He he gets talent, but he just doesn't develop them or he doesn't use them correctly. In my opinion, I think that's that's almost kind of what I would call like the five star conundrum is that you have coaches that are weak and can't break those guys down because Nick Saban can bring in a five star who's just been praised his entire life and been told right. from the time he was ten years old that he's the best ever. And he can come in and Saban is just like, shut up, sit down, you're going to learn football from me. And he breaks them down. And then maybe Kevin Sumlin is not doing that. And player development is so, so, so huge for, I mean, like, I think Dan Mullen of Mississippi State is like the the champion of player development. Anything, oh, yeah. yeah, takes like two, three-star players and he had a number one team two years ago. It's incredible. And that, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's everything when you're in a position like Texas A&M where all your players aren't five stars. And then it kind of looks like the five stars, he can't take that talent and harness it. He's the he's the cool guy. Everybody he's wants to play for. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think in a way he just kind of lets players walk all over him I, to a certain extent. I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I think yeah. that makes sense because you got any coach. I'm leery of any coach, and I this – Hopefully this season this is not true of Butch Jones. But any coach that's, like, huge on Twitter, like, yeah. I'm a little leery of. Like, go coach your team and, you know, right. let somebody else get you Twitter followers or in, just don't have one. In this case, it might be Twitter. In someone's case, it's I'm going to fly in my helicopter to see this recruit. <laughs> Kirby He's got smart. the swag copter painted maroon that he flies everywhere. Oh, that's so, so that's yeah. a thing. That's a real thing, yes. Oh, man. You guys are in the know. You go to Texas A&M or did or whatever your situation may be. I think the traditions at Texas A&M still kind of freak people out in, right. in a way. Yeah. D- defend 
to me the the culture at Texas A&M. What what makes you you love it? Because outside looking in, like I said, I've been there and I've seen it right. all. And you have the the cult leaders at the front dressed in all white, telling students <laughs> to bend over and chant things. And then you guys you do a human sacrifice at the middle of the field. And it's well, well for the record, know, Charlie, it's not bend over. It's uh, hump it eggs. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that might be worse. <laughs> where you hump your back to where you can yell towards the field. At an optimal angle. Yeah, for the record, we're not humping anything. <laughs> it's a figure of speech, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll try. I'll try my best to defend it here, and then Taylor can take a crack at it. I, I love it because um, it's kind of like unwavering. Like they're gonna support you literally no matter what. Which I've actually like picked a bone with this about the Johnny Manziel support because it's actually absurd, but. Uh, the never-ending spirit of Texas A&M athletics. I mean, there's like a little passageway by Kyle Field, and on the sign it says, uh, there's a spirit that can never, never be told. And, you know, outsiders looking in can't understand it. Insiders looking out can't explain it or something like that. It's, it's literally, it couldn't be described any better than that. Yeah, you know, a lot of people who hate A&M try to insult Aggies by saying that we're a cult. And I think a lot of Aggies are almost complimented by that because we kind of are a cult. You know, we're weird. We have our own things that we do. And like Garrett said, they say, you know, from the outside looking in, you can't understand it. From the inside looking out, you can't explain it. That's exactly what it's like. Like, I can't sit here and explain it to you and get you to fully grasp it. If you've never been you to a game of college. down here, Charlie. Yeah, it's awesome. You got to stand next to me and uh, be part of the 12th man. Well, the Aggie network is unlike anything else. That's worldwide. And that is 100% true. It is it's really weird almost, but in a very in a cool way. Like the thing is is that it seems like everybody that goes there does embrace it. It would be strange if you had people who weren't all about it, but were in it, but right. everybody and is this, And like that's just that kind of starts with what they have in uh for all the freshmen who come in called a called fish camp uh where I think it's like three or four days. All the freshmen go to these sessions and count they counselors. They basically, yeah, they get brainwashed. Yeah. They teach them all the cheers. They teach them all how to be red ass, how to be um, good eggs. I don't know all these cliche things that you could say about it. Uh, so yeah, that's it's kind of it never changes because it's like a system to where the people who are the, the most passionate about it teach the people who don't know about it yet. And it just keeps on and on and on and on. Um, and when you have a really pretty dog as your mascot, <laughs> unlike uh, Smokey, I feel like Red's a little bit more approachable hey, than Smokey. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just pointing out facts. It is Red's a, a little bit more approachable. Perhaps a, a more attractive uh, breed of dog, sure. No, but Rev has nothing to do with it. She's just, she's just really pretty in the highest ranking commander on uh, campus. So Yeah, that, that is really funny because isn't it – I, if you go to class, uh, and and Revely is there, and she she barks, you get out of class. Yeah, or something. That's a hundred percent true. The only thing is, I don't think that ever happens. Yeah, I was gonna say so, when. Yeah. First of all, why is the dog in the class? Uh, the a member the of the corps. Yeah, a member of the corps of cadets is her handler. Oh, and he the has class in the schedule, class. just like any other student. Yeah, and she goes wherever he goes. So see you in class. UT, She's in class. Uh, He's taking a shower. She, well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I think yeah, I met just... him and I actually asked him like, because everywhere they he goes with Rev, 
he asked everybody asked to take pictures with it. I'm going to ask him like, um, how early do you have to leave to go to class? He's like, I usually try to go about 45 minutes if I have to walk to class because what? so many people want to take a picture with Reveille, and he gets stopped by so many people. It's it's it was actually unreal when he told me that. Like, wow. I'll be lucky if I wake up 15 minutes before the class to get there or something. It's <laughs> ridiculous. That really is insane. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's there you go. I will say this though, if somebody is out there and they've never been to Kyle Field, just come to a game. It's incredible. It really is, especially now that they've refurbished everything. It's an unreal experience, I'd argue. I mean, I've never been to every stadium in the country, of course, but I'd argue that has to be one of, if not the best, atmosphere in college football. I would say when the horns are being sawed off and you are on the top bowl area, and you can feel the stadium sway back and forth, that is a feeling you'll never forget, and it's a feeling that uh, you feel like you're, you're really a part of something special um, and something that can really never be taken away from you. See, that is, I, I would agree the, the environment there is pretty incredible, and exactly what you were talking about when everybody's swaying side to side. It is a, a sight to behold and to be involved with. I, need to, I haven't been down since they did all the renovations. I think the... Last time I was there, I, I'm almost certain, was the final Texas-Texas A&M game. Um, oh, I was there. That and, brings back bad memories. Yeah, Texas kicked that field goal to win. Uh, but yep. <laughs> we won't talk about it. Um, but, yeah, I would highly, highly suggest to anyone thinking about going down there. Absolutely do it. It is a unique experience. And, one, you can go back and tell your friends – that you you they tried to suck you into the cult with a howdy and a handshake and you you refused. You, you considered it though. Nar- you narrowly avoided. It. <laughs> I mean, I well October October eighth. You need to come back down here. Check out the new golf field. I, it's something special. I really do. But now I I've started my own site. I don't have the funding behind me or anything. This I don't. Is, this makes me sad. I, well, we'll start a GoFundMe to fly you down here. Well, the thing yeah, is, uh, a whole side of my family lives in DFW, so there you go. Maybe I don't know. I would <laughs> just believe me if I'm not there. I definitely wanted to be. Don't fair don't, enough. Don't get me wrong. But last question: going out the door, uh, each of you prediction for the season for Texas A&M. Lock it in, and then we'll come back and we'll ostracize you when you're you're inevitably incorrect. Wait, uh, Taylor, you can go first. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to kind of play it safe here. I'm going to go 8-4. and four. I think uh, they're going to start off 5-0, and oh, like always, and then they're going to drop one to Tennessee. They're going to drop one to Bama. Then they'll drop one to probably Ole Miss, then LSU, finish 8-4. and four. Um, I have them, even after both bowl season, I have them 7-6, and six, winning 7 in the regular season and dropping their bowl game. Um I just really I, – I don't see the offensive line getting that much better as the season progresses, especially as the opponents strengthen. Uh, I don't ex- really expect the linebacker core to be anything better than it was last year. It probably will drop off, and honestly, and that is really, really scary as an A&M fan. Also, I want to point out that I have a lot riding on this prediction because um, – if A&M wins eight games, I have to get hashtag yes, sir, tattooed on my right ass cheek. 
which is a bet that I've made, Boy. and I'm going to stick by. And I, I really, truly do believe that it's just going to be a really disappointing season, and it, it could literally all hell could break loose. Seriously, yeah, for what I, it's like you people say that, and literally, Kevin Sullivan could get fired this year. Uh, Trevor Knight could get hurt this year. Miles Garrett's out the door. Who are you really coming back to replace that guy? I mean, he's been the face of A&M defense for the past two seasons. It's literally things could go wrong. And like I said to start this podcast, there's so many what ifs and huge what ifs that I don't see them going in A&M's favor. So I think they're only going to achieve seven wins this season. For this worth, I do have Tennessee winning the SEC. So wow, hopefully, uh, yeah. Well, I know Tennessee over LSU. So the funny thing is, when you say that, Tennessee fans, it, the majority that I've talked to, kind of feel like Tennessee will be undefeated coming into that Texas A&M game, and then they're going to lose to Texas A&M in a weird road game. Well, so, here's the thing about A&M is the last, I guess, four years, we can't win a home game. That's true. So that's I think weird. that trend's going to continue. Tennessee's going to come in. We'll lose by probably a touchdown. And A&M fans will fall into depression and have relapses of the last three years, and everything will be awful. <laughs> Can I? It's one game that I was at, Texas A&M, and it really, I, I remember it very well because it just kind of broke people. You could tell. Yeah. It, I, I just happened to be at these terrible losses for Texas A&M. But well, it stay was, away in that case. Forget everything I said about you coming down here. Yeah, stay invite away. Stay up there invite in Tennessee. Yeah. Well, it was, it was Sherman's last year, and they played Arkansas in Jerry World. And oh, yeah. Texas A&M had this huge lead. I, I, it was like 20. 35-17. Yeah. 35-17. Big old lead. I and, remember vividly. I was there right behind the end zone. I remember the players. That's where I was. Dude, I was probably I was sitting. Really, I was probably sitting right, right by you. <laughs> I might have high fived you at some point. I, don't know. <laughs> I remember looking at the scoreboard and seeing thirty-five seventeen and thinking, "Wow, we're gonna have one hell of a year." And then fast forward about two hours, and I have tears running down my face. <laughs> I mean that that's what it like broke people. It was oh, you, yeah. you could tell walking out, and it it was that an was interesting experience. Yeah, I mean. I think the game before that, Oklahoma State, the conference opener, they had I think it was a twenty four to seven lead, twenty four to ten. They blew that. Ooh. They blew a halftime lead against Texas. They blew a halftime lead against Kansas State. They could have easily been eleven to one that year. I I, I have been at, at multiple games that kind of drove the nail in coffins for people. I was uh at Mississippi State when they played Auburn in Crooms last year. They oh, three man. to two. They lost that game, uh, and that was one. I can remember watching this game. That game. Oh like, my sweet goodness! I was sitting. We had amazing tickets, like fifty yard line, ten rows up. Just ended up getting them from somebody like worked in the athletic department, and just like the most ridiculous football game I've ever seen. Three to two. That that got Croom fired uh, at Mississippi State twice at Mississippi State. Derek Dooley where Mississippi State and Tennessee, Tennessee just kept going back and forth, and Derek Dooley was in a stupid wheelchair because he had hip surgery, just looking like an idiot. And they lost that game, uh, and that was one of the final nails in the coffin for Derek Dooley. So, I, I mean, maybe I can come, and the Tennessee game will be uh, the nail in the coffin for Kevin Sullivan for you. And, and, you know, maybe for some fans that's a good thing. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think moral of the story here is you need to stay away from every football game. <laughs> Preferably, I don't I do not do that to Butch Jones, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. Well, guys, Garrett Robertson, Taylor Travis, Texas A&M folks in, in whatever way, but besides that, go follow them on Twitter. What are your Twitter handles? At TaylorTravis15. And mine is at Rob, which is G-A-4-R-S-O-B. Uh, it's quite the quite the handle, I'd say. Four R's. That's interesting. I don't think I ever noticed that. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a pirate. Yeah, I'm part of hashtag pirate Twitter. Ah, gotcha. It's my brand at this point. <laughs> you got to stick to that hashtag brand. Uh, is what it is. But guys, thanks so much for doing this. It's a little late, and you know we've been like 45 minutes. It's good stuff. Thanks, guys. Thank you, yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Thanks.